Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. So uh, today we're studying the uh, Torah portion out of Exodus 21. Through Exodus 24, it's Torah portion number 18. 18 is the Hebrew uh, number for life. High, the high life, number 18. And so may God bring us all abundant life, eternal life, a blessed life, a quality life, an overcoming life, a faith-filled life, a life filled with favor and blessing in every way. Amen. And uh, today I want to spend some time talking about how to release the power of the blood covenant. Amen. And so uh, you might recall last week uh, God gave Israel the Ten Commandments. What an epic event, a national revelation. All of Israel heard the voice of God as he uh, revealed himself. And Israel and God formed a sacred covenant. And that covenant has been sustained uh, in the Jewish community uh, for over 3,400 years. That's kind of faithful. 3,400 years later, you're still serving the Lord. And so this week, in this study, in Exodus 21 through Exodus 24, uh, God follows up uh, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, with some of the fine print. Okay? Uh, the, the, the big picture is for uh, uh, my kids, even today, they're adult kids, they're at home, some of them, uh, clean up your room. <laughs> what... I think means clean up your room, and what they think means clean up your room are two different things. And so I have to be very cautious as a dad, a loving, kind, gentle father, uh, uh, on how I give the fine print. <laughs> and so here in uh, this week's Torah study, God gives the fine print with 50 more principles on how to create a righteous culture, how to establish a godly government. Uh, why does God do this? Because he wants us to experience success in life. Who likes success in life? Amen. And in order to have success in life, we sometimes need to look at the fine print. The big picture is love one another. Uh, but uh, sometimes we get hung up on uh, all the subtopics that would come under what does it mean to love one another. Uh, so God provides in this week's study uh, additional guidelines for a civil society. I don't know about you, but I like law and order. I don't like the spirit of lawlessness that I see in America and around the world today. Uh, and from the beginning, 
God has been a God that does things decently and in order, and he outlines what that looks like. And this week he outlines what law and order looks like, what a civil society, a moral society looks like. So he gives these civil guidelines uh, for a society on what it means in marriage. How do we handle murderers and manslaughterers? What do we do if there's kidnappings? In other words, how do we handle the criminal element that disobeys God's laws? We also learn uh, in this week's study about what happens if you run me off the road, which happened to Pastor Troy yesterday. Got ran off the road, totaled his car. Fortunately, the angels of the Lord are encamped round about him just like they are you, and he walked away. But how does he get compensated and restored to his position before the accident? God brings that up in the Torah study today. Personal injury and personal property damages are covered. How do we handle theft? and negligence. What are God's uh, standards for making loans, for workers' rights, uh, for judicial conduct? Can a judge rule any old way he wants? Sorry, no, and not be in the will of God. There's laws of liability, laws of restitution. God didn't institute these laws so you would earn your way to salvation which is the misnomer. Well, we're not under the law. Troy is glad that somebody's going to be held under the law after getting run off the road and his brand new truck got totaled. But uh, God gives us these guidelines, these principles, these laws and ordinances so that if when stuff happens, there's a cure, a righteous, godly antidote for crazy. <laughs> Amen? Amen. And uh, in big picture talk, each of these and all 613 uh, commandments God gives in the Torah uh, help us to understand and form a godly value system. America, the world, needs a biblical, godly, moral value system. And right now, with the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness, just infecting our world, it's like a cancer eating away. And what's the antidote? God's word is the antidote. And... Uh, What's fascinating, up until now, nations of the world had rejected any concepts of justice, fairness, equality. There were tyrants. There's even tyrants today that are like Pharaoh. They're like Nimrod. And they disregard basic God-given and basic, basic human rights. Right? They divide their societies. You can see that's what's kind of going on with America. We're trying to divide and conquer. And we're trying to, it's not Republican and Democrat so much anymore. It's the haves and the have-nots. 
that's what people, we're still trying to make it political and there's an element to that. But really the devil's plan is to negate God's laws and create the haves who are the secular elites who disregard, ignore, and neglect God's laws and then the rest of us who are the have-nots. And it's a new kind of slavery. Okay. And here's the message to Christians. For whatever reasons, there's lots of them, Christians are incorrectly taught that God's commandments, God's laws in the Old Testament are some kind of albatross that he gave to Israel to hang it around their neck and put them in bondage and legalism. Wrong, 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 wrong. Couldn't be further from the truth. God's word leads to a blessed life. All scripture is inspired by the Lord. From Genesis to Revelation, the principles, the values, the belief system is what we're all aspiring to. That's the journey. We don't get it all uh, at the altar call. It's a, a journey of learning the wisdom and ways of God. And as we do that, it just leads to more eternal life, more abundant life. Amen? So today, Israel uh, is still at Mount Sinai, and they respond to God's offer of a covenant relationship. They respond with a covenant commitment. It's that commitment that they've been living under, that covenant, uh, for the past 3,500 years. And so there's something to be learned here. Uh, go with me to Exodus 24, verse 1. It's an amazing section of Scripture. And as I was reading this the other day, I realized this is what we needed to focus in on today. Exodus 24, 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Avihu and the 70 elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. And the people may not come up with him. And when Moses went up and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Remember Mary speaking to Jesus at the wedding at Canaan? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Same concept. Verse 4, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it into bowls. 
and the other half he splashed or sprinkled on the altar. Now watch this, verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, and this is what really got me the other day, and I said, i got to read on this and teach on this. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. Do you see that in verse 8, Exodus 24, 8? Moses took the other half of the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. With according, according to the word of God. So the people came into agreement, came into a blood covenant agreement with the Lord. Everything that the Lord says will do. And in ancient wisdom, even if we don't understand what he's asking us to do, we're just going to do it and we'll learn more later and probably understand more later. But for now, it's just we're just going to do it. That's when Nike was formed. Just do it. So this is Israel's version of an altar call experience. They were pledging their allegiance to the Lord. And they were sealing it with what's known as a blood covenant. Now, a covenant in simple terms is a contract. It's an agreement, a binding agreement between two parties. It involves many things, obligations, responsibilities, terms, conditions, promises, benefits. Here's our covenant. (laughs) Amen? A lot of pages in there. A lot of values, a lot of principles, a lot of guidelines. A lot of things that when we learn and understand what God is saying at a deeper level, it leads to a better life, abundant life, a quality life, a blessed life. Amen? How many of you like the sounds of living a blessed life? Me too. Well, a lot of it is contingent on what we know about the covenant the blood covenant, what are the rights, what are the benefits, what are the blessings, and what is my obligation? Do I have any obligation? A lot of Christians today don't think they have any obligation. I'm under grace. There's nothing I have to do. Well, there's nothing you have to do for eternal life except say, Jesus, come into my life. I believe in you. I believe you died so my sins could be forgiven, and I just am going to live for you. There you go. Some version of the sinner's prayer covers that person. Now, we can uh, argue over whether it's once saved, always saved. We can argue over all of that. Uh, But that's eternal life. 
What about the blessed life down on the ground while we're still around? I got 20 more years. I turned 70. I got 20, 25 more years. If Jesus should tarry, I want to make it to the Willard Scott age, right? The 100-year threshold. And so 30 years from now, I don't want to be on the decline getting worse and worse and worse and worse. I don't want the devil to come in and steal, kill, and destroy everything that was blood-bought for my benefit. So there are some things that need to be considered, that need to be done. When it's all said and done in Christianity, there's a lot more said than done. There are really two sides of the same coin. There is the saying, we'll get to that, and then there's the doing. I'll show you my faith by my works. Was, he, was James right? Or is that the part we cut out of the Bible because we don't believe in works? So, especially in ancient times, I mean, we obviously don't do that nowadays in America but in ancient times, biblical times, covenants were signed, sealed, and delivered in the blood. And the blood symbolizes a level of sacrifice, especially for the one giving the blood. <laughs> right? It, it symbolizes a level of seriousness. Now, we as believers sometimes lose sight of the seriousness of the commitment we've made. And it's not until we watch a movie like The Passion of the Christ and we see on the big screen what Jesus went through to establish a blood covenant with the Gentiles and with all mankind. And it shows a level of commitment. And right now, boy, you start talking about commitment to church folk nowadays, and it's like, you know, they put, hold up their cross like you're a, some sort of vampire. Where's the wolf bang? Where's the garlic? <laughs> Back off! But the blood covenant is a solemn agreement. And a person just can't flippantly dismiss what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Yes, Lord, no, Lord. Yes, Lord, no, Lord. You're a military Christian. You're left, you're right, you're all over the map. <laughs> So a blood covenant, this agreement, this contract, as it were, and we're talking about with the Lord, a blood covenant, brings into play a matter of trust. Can you trust God? Can God trust you? A matter of integrity, a matter of honesty, a matter of faithfulness comes into play. And so in our own individual lives, part of the Christian journey is uh, learning how to walk in integrity, how to carry a sense of responsibility, 
how to live faithfully, and on and on and on. It's been like this since the beginning, all the way back to the garden, right? All the way back to Genesis, we see that God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Hallelujah. He's faithful, even if we're not faithful. And if we discover in ourselves by the word, by the spirit, that we haven't been faithful, Father, forgive me. I didn't know what I was doing. Or Father, forgive me. I know what I was doing. And I need you to change my will so that I stop doing what I know I shouldn't be doing. (laughs) And some of that might take 500 times. (laughs) Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. So God's made covenants with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, and others. And think about his choice to make make a covenant with Abraham who became the father of our faith. It was based on a knowledge that Abraham would not only keep God's covenant, God's laws, but would pass them on. Look at Genesis 18, 19. In Genesis 18, 19, this is the Lord. For I know that he, Abraham, Abram, will command his children and household after him that they will keep God's ways, doing charity and justice. Then... I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. There is a picture of covenant. Covenant making, covenant keeping, and the background for why. Because I know that uh, uh, your talk isn't cheap. I know, Abraham, you're willing to put your money where your mouth is. Now, this pattern continues even through Isaac and Jacob. And when Isaac needed encouragement and instruction from the Lord, God came to him and reminded him of the promises he made to Abraham and why they would be kept now, not only with Isaac, but with Jacob and his descendants. Look at Genesis 26. In Genesis 26, 5. This is God speaking to Isaac, and he says, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, I will intervene in his life. So, going way back to those days with those heroes of the faith, There's an element that's unfolding that speaks to the legal side of the covenant. And it's that legal side of the covenant that obligates us to follow a certain code of ethics. Why is that thought to be bad? 
Why, why does the church have to have this vague, lofty, or hard-to-pin-down code of ethics? It starts with the Big Ten. And then it continues on. There's thousands of commandments that have been expressed and re-expressed from Genesis through Revelation. And it's up to Christianity, Christians, it's up to the pastors to teach and equip the saints. It's up to all of us to take it upon ourselves as a personal uh, responsibility to understand what is the lifestyle that pleases God. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? It's talking about obedience. What was Jesus telling them? Many things. And many of those things required a decision. To obey or not to obey? That is the question. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Plural, commandments. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 14, As obedient children. <laughs> All of my kids are grown, you know, they're in their 30s now. But I've got a grandson. <laughs> he, he's three. <laughs> As obedient grandchildren. He ain't always so obedient. He don't want to listen. He, he already knows everything. You're three years old and you know everything? Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, he's just getting right down to it. Y'all were ignorant. We were all ignorant fools trying to live life on our own terms, in our own way, following our own voice, our own ideas, our own opinions, our own conscience. But now that we're saved, we need to be like obedient children. And even when the tough gets going, as it did in the book of Acts, in Acts 5.29, the apostles, Peter and the boys, were uh, faced with some opposition. It was adversarial, a lot of tension. And they answered that adversarial stuff that was going on, we must obey God rather than men. <laughs> so... Yeah, there's this code of ethics, and this is the legal side. But there's another side, uh, an emotional side, an emotional connection that God wants us to make as part of our blood covenant. And you see this in the example of David and Jonathan. Go with me to 1 Samuel 18. In 1 Samuel 18, you see a, a different side or aspect of this relationship. 
Verse 1, 1 Samuel 18, 1. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made, cut, a covenant. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him, gave it to David, And with his armor, even to his sword, his bow, and his belt, he gave what he had to David. And so what are we pointing out here is that David and Jonathan cut a blood covenant that was different than just a legal binding obligation. Their souls were knitted together. They were emotionally joined together. They became covenant friends. They loved each other as much or more as they loved themselves. They were soul partners, soul mates, as it were. And this is God showing us what kind of relationship he wants with us. I just don't want you mechanically uh, 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 following my commandments and your heart isn't in it. I don't want you just coming to church because what would people think? And on and on and on. I want an emotional, heartfelt, loving commitment from you where you want to do more. You want to go further. Not because you have to, because I get to. How many of you love that you get to follow the Lord and love Him with all of your heart? This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 22 and Mark 12 when they were asked him, what's the greatest of all commandments? And Jesus repeats the Shema, the Lord our God is one. And, and he said, you shall love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I'm looking for more than just a mechanical, I went to church, put in my biblical time clock for 60 minutes. What more do you want? (laughs) I want your whole life. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. I've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. That's a solemn commitment. That's why altar calls have to be more than just, there's nothing else you have to do but just say this little prayer. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I want your heart. I want your total surrender. And moving forward, everything is God-centered, not me-centered. So from the beginning, God has been seeking with people this type of relationship. Do you have that kind of relationship? It's something we're always working on. Just like a marriage, it's not you don't say I do and then everything's worked out. No, that's just the start of working it out. Right. 
And back in the day, back in the times of Adam and Noah and Abraham and others, the blessing of God with all its benefits could always happen. Eternal life, abundant life could always happen because God prescribed how it would happen. And his word is true. But the Lord was always careful to remind his people that one day there would be a new covenant. One day there's going to be an ultimate covenant where everything that we have been in agreement with up until now is going to be bundled into something even greater. It's not like it's old and, and we plow it into the land hill of, uh, landfill of history. It's all of that covenant promise, all of that covenant blessing is now rolled forward into even a grander covenant built on better blood. And this is where we read and understand and, uh, why John 3.16 is, is so awesome. Because it sums it up perfectly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, parentheses, to die on the cross and shed his blood so our sins could be forgiven, so that curses could be broken, so that we could be reconciled and, and redeemed and get back into a covenant relationship with the Lord so that every blessing that's been blood-bought could come into my life moving forward. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Pastor Larry's book, The Seven Places Jesus Shed His Blood, he gives you a comprehensive look at the power of the blood. And the benefits of the blood covenant. And the blood even before Jesus, but especially now with Jesus, brings eternal life? Could a Jew before Jesus have eternal life? Absolutely. Because God had a remedy, even before. It was temporary, to be sure. And yet, moving forward, it was going to switch to something eternal. Because even though for now I'll allow the blood of bulls and goats, later on it's the blood of my son that will speak an eternal salvation that you don't have to replicate at an altar once a year or how many ever times you need it. So his covenant now brings eternal life and abundant life. And in the seven places, Jesus sheds his blood not only at Calvary, but in these different places, he sheds his blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He sweat great drops of blood. The blood is redeeming our willpower. It's redeeming our uh, desire to go out and do it our own way. Number two, at the whipping post, by his stripes... We were healed, past tense. It's a completed thing. Number three, 
the crown of thorns placed on his head. Uh, that sweat from his brow changed into blood, we're told. And that's to break the curse of poverty and release us and redeem us into God's original plan of abundance and blessing. Jesus' hands were pierced and blood came out so that we could have dominion restored unto us. The work of our hands would be blessed. His feet were nailed to the cross and blood was shed again to restore authority and dominion. So wherever the soles of your feet shall tread, you will have dominion and authority. They thrust a spear into his side and out came blood and water. And it shows us that Jesus died and shed his blood from a broken heart, a pierced heart, a broken heart. So that anyone that's suffering on the inside, that's been damaged by the devil, by life, by people emotionally in their heart, you don't have to walk around with a broken heart the rest of your life. There's redemption through the blood. And this leads us to when Jesus goes to the gates of hell and stomps on the devil's head. He crushes the devil's head and bruises his heel. That bruising is a bleeding on the inside. Because God wants us whole, spirit, soul, and body. The complete woman, the complete man is promised wholeness. Now, some people will teach you need to live a broken life the rest of your life. Now, they probably mean a humble life. But when it comes to brokenness, you don't live the rest of your life in Christ broken down by marriage, broken down by divorce, broken down by uh, uh, horrible things from the past, broken down by sin, broken down by sickness, broken down by poverty. Those are enemies of the cross. And if they're enemies, they can be overcome because they overcame the devil and all of his powers and principalities, all of those evil plans that they bring, they overcame by the power of the blood. And then the word of your testimony. What do you got to say about life? What do you got to say about your destiny? What do you got to say about what's happening? So let's circle back around to the original scripture. He, Moses took the book of the covenant, read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord said. We will obey and Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to his word. His word. 
The covenant that you and I have with the Lord is based on the power of God's Word. It's in accordance to His Word. And therefore, when we're speaking covenant words, we can expect covenant promises. Amen? Your words can either release or shut down covenant blessings. Every covenant blessing is available. Health, healing, financial abundance, favor, peace, protection, long life, positive family, positive relationships. Every good and perfect gift. (laughs) Hallelujah. But it's our words, our confession that set a spiritual law in motion for either good or bad. When we speak covenant words, we're releasing covenant power, covenant promises. Romans 4.17 teaches that like Abraham, we need to learn to call those things that don't exist as though they did. Anybody ever read Romans 4.17? You call those things that be not as though they were. That's a description of faith. I'm not looking at the natural circumstances to define my life and my destiny. I'm looking by faith into God's Word. That's the the foundation of the blood covenant, the Word. And we call the promises of God into being. Amen. Is that are we getting this? Of course, there's more. You you also release covenant power by taking corresponding action. I'll show you my faith by my works. James two eighteen. So if we believe in the covenant and we're speaking covenant words, we're talking the talk. But we also need to walk the walk. Right? Is that that true? Not just talk about it, let's do it. We will do everything that God says to do. And that's true faith, right? True faith cannot but help to act on the word of God. Whether it be sowing a seed towards your need, forgiving somebody who has offended you, repenting if you've missed the mark, following the leading of the Holy Spirit and blessing someone, encouraging someone, praying for someone, and so forth. Your actions and obedience are part of what releases covenant blessing, covenant promise. We can't just come to church for 60 minutes, sit on our rusty dusties, and then do nothing the rest of the week and think that God's going to pour out His blessing. People think that, though. When am I going to get my pink Cadillac? (laughs) Finally, we have to continue to walk by faith. Faith in God's Word. We don't walk by our feelings. How are you feeling today? I'm deciding not to check. (laughs) 
because I'm, I'm feeling faith. How's that? I'm believing God today. But we don't walk dictated by natural circumstances. Our mindset, our attitude, our philosophy is to always have an optimistic outlook. All things are going to work together for my good. God favors me. God loves me. I'm blessed and highly favored wherever I go. Praise God. So in conclusion, uh, God's covenant, the blood covenant, is an expression of God's mercy and grace, his kindness and goodness, right? What, what did you bring to the, to, to the table? <laughs> Scott, what did you bring to the table to make this good covenant happen? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, honey. <laughs> but it's a blood covenant nonetheless. And God initiated it all because he loves us so much. He so loved the world. And we can lean on that covenant for healing, for miracles, for breakthroughs, amen, for favor on your work, for debt cancellation, favor in the legal realm, favor in the medical realm, favor in the family realm. And the more we dig into the covenant, the more we build a reservoir of wisdom and knowledge and understanding from the Word, the higher we'll go, the the higher we'll climb the ladder of success. And thank God the Holy Spirit's always there to help us learn more, absorb more. He'll energize things in our lives. Amen. Your spirit will be alive Amen. And you'll realize what Jesus actually meant when he said, this is the new covenant established in my blood. Once we get that down, what does that mean? We just touched on a bunch of it. Your life will never be the same again. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you receive that today, give the Lord a praise. Amen. Have a great day and a fun Super Bowl if you're into that. And uh, we'll see you in church.